What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special edition of the Field of 68 After Dark tonight. I'm going to be joined by four of the brightest minds that are covering the NBA draft, as well as uh, Jeff Goodman, who somehow got on the Zoom and got on this call and got on the show. I don't know who let him uh, in here, but uh, we're going to put together a full first round mock draft. This is the way it's going to work. This is what's going to happen. There are six of us here. Each of us have been assigned five first round picks. We will each make those picks as if we are the GM of those organizations. Uh, it might be what we would do in those spots. It might be trying to project what that team will do. The only real rule is don't do anything that is too crazy, only a little bit of crazy. Uh, let me introduce my panel. We have Sam Vicini, a draft correspondent for The Athletic and the host of the Game Theory Podcast. We have Jeremy Wu, who is Sports Illustrated's NBA Draft Insider. We have Matt Babcock, who is a basketball lifer and the senior draft analyst for basketballnews.com. He's also a former NBA agent. We have Ryan McDonough, who spent a decade in Boston and Phoenix and different NBA front offices. And we also have Jeff Goodman, who does one mock draft and calls himself the stadium insider. Before we get into the meat of this, I want to give each of you guys a chance to uh, give me like a 30 second, 35,000 foot take on this draft. Is it good? Is it great? Is it deep? Is it horrible? Sam, I'm going to you down in Australia first. Yeah, I think that I have more of a top four than a top three. I don't have any of these top four guys on the same level as Cade Cunningham. I think that there were three guys last year that probably would have gone ahead of any of the top four in this class and Evan Mobley and Jalen Green as well. But I do think that all four of the top players, Chet Holmgren, Paulo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, and Jaden Ivey, all have legitimate, real, realistic, all-star upside. And uh, the top four teams in this class, I think, should be very excited to be at the top of this draft. Jeremy, what about you? Yeah, you know, I, we talk about, like, is a draft good? Like, I think at this point in the process, it's better to just look at, like, the top, right? Because at a certain point, it's all kind of fit. And guys always hit at a certain point, and we won't know until later. But, um, you know, I think there's probably a dozen guys who are, like, pretty good prospects. Like, you know, I kind of agree with what Sam said about the top four. But then, um, you know, just in terms of the, the top, like, in any draft, those would be, you know, 10 to 12 guys would be in the consideration for the top, you know, 15, 20 picks. So, you know, in that respect, I don't think it's bad, um, but then it's real muddy, like going through 16 to even 45, 50. It, there's not a lot separating a lot of these guys. So that I think is going to be the challenging part. Uh, and teams are still kind of, I think, figuring that part out right now, too. Ryan, I want to ask you something just a little bit different. You've been in these draft rooms. Let's pretend this is the real draft. night. Let's pretend you're the number one team on the clock. Let's pretend that you have to make a decision. What is going through your mind? What are the conversations that are happening in those uh, those draft rooms? Yeah, Rob, if you have the number one pick, usually it's already been decided who you take. I can remember a few examples where that wasn't the case. In fact, Cleveland in 2013, my first draft as GM of the Sun, seemed like they were still deliberating on the clock when Anthony Bennett went number one. Uh, but most of the time, it's decided in advance. The NBA gives you five minutes in the actual draft to make your pick. Um, usually what most teams do is 
wait two or three minutes to call the pick in, even if they know, because for, for, t- for TV, the NBA wants the pick spaced out and they don't announce it till five minutes have passed. Um, so basically what you try to do is have your list of players you would trade the pick for or different combinations already decided in advance if you're picking number one. So there's no scrambling on the clock. If somebody calls in with a last-minute trade, you basically know whether you do it or not. It's very rare that it happens at the last minute, but every once in a while you do get a call out of the blue. Um, that being said, you wait maybe two or three minutes and with a minute or two left, so there's no uncertainty, you call in the pick and let the league know who you're taking so they can get the card to the commissioner. Matt, I, I want to ask you. For you, Ryan. Ryan, I have a quick question for you on that. How much misinformation are you putting out? when you have the number one pick to try to, uh, again, try to increase the, the trade value of, of that pick. I think a decent amount, especially in a draft like this one where it's relatively flat. And, and to be honest, the, the years you want the number one pick, I think, are when it's obvious, right? You want the number one pick when it's LeBron James or Anthony Davis or Tim Duncan. Um, not that it's ever a bad thing to have a number one pick, but you want it less when it's relatively flat. And I agree with Sam's assessment. I, I don't think this is, you know, one, two, three player of the draft. I, for me, there are four guys that I think, uh, you know, you do it in the NBA front offices in tiers. I think there's a drop after that first tier of four, in my opinion. Um, so that's the challenge. And that's what Orlando's going through right now. It seems like the consensus is Jabari Smith. Uh, you know, Chet Holmgren obviously has some smoke as well. But, um, you know, look, I, I don't think it would be out of left field if they pick Paolo Bencaro or Jay Ivey or, you know, probably one of those four guys. Uh, so that's the challenge. You, you want teams thinking that, you may draft any of them. So if they want one particular guy, they need to give a lot of value to get up and get the pick. Matt, you've been on the agent side of the business. What are the conversations like between an agent and client? How stressful is that? What are you telling your guys when they are in these situations where they don't know where they're going to be living for the next four years of their life? You know, I mean, it's a case-by-case situation. Every, every player's situation is different. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, going into the draft, there's a lot of pressure. I mean, even when a player has a, has a guarantee – you know, you're, you're counting on this GM's going to you know, stick to their word. And, uh, you know, so the, the week of the draft, an agent generally will feel a lot of pressure that there's a lot to do. 99% of the work's already been done. And so, um, you know, the work in the phones, I mean, a lot of it is just spinning your wheels. It, 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 you know, a lot of it's, you know, most of it's out of your hands at that point. Uh, there are some stuff in the second round. I mean, talking about guys, uh, you know, for drafting stash, now two-way contracts, stuff like that. Uh, but m- most of the work's done at this point. Make sure you guys like this video. Make sure you guys subscribe to this channel if you are watching this right now. Uh, If you're listening to this on a podcast, wherever it is, make sure you subscribe to our channels. That's the best way to help us grow this content and grow this space. We are presented by our partners over at Bet Rivers, and that means that it is time for us to get into this mock draft. So coming up first with the number one overall pick, we have Orlando on the clock, and that is going to be one Jeremy Wu making the number one overall pick. There's a lot of pressure here, Jeremy. A lot of pressure on this decision. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah no this is an easy one for me uh i'm taking jabari smith uh not gonna think about this too hard um you know for me he's been the guy you know since december when i went to see him uh i didn't know as much about him coming into the season uh really got familiar with him and i spent some time at auburn and i just i'm really convinced that he's the guy um to me he's in a tier of his own ahead of the other three guys at the top um I think his shooting is just such a special skill. It's going to be really hard to block. I think we're overthinking the whole dribbling aspect of it uh, just because it's going to be easy for him to get it off. And I think a creative coach will find ways for it to work. And, uh, you know, knowing what we know about him as a defender and as a person and how much he cares and how much of a perfectionist he is and how hard he works. Like if I'm Orlando, uh, I just think he's the guy who I want to sort of like set the culture and I'm willing to like grow with, with Jabari as, as my guy. So he's my pick at number one. 
So I want to know from any of you guys, is there anyone that would not take Jabari number one? Sam, I know that you are in the camp of Chet and Jabari are kind of on that same tier. Would you, who are you going with number one overall? Well, it's interesting. And this is something I wanted to pose to Ryan because I think that, you know, you guys had a situation a couple years ago with Luka Doncic versus DeAndre Ayton. How much do you care about fit? when considering the number one overall pick are you simply you just take the best guy the guy that's number one on your board or you just at the end of the day you know you have to consider hey we have Devin Booker already and do we need another ball handler in here is there uh, a better fit with a center maybe that can fit with us right yeah I think that's certainly something that factors in more Sam on the team side than from what I've seen on on mock drafts you need you need obviously a balanced competitive team offense, defense, rebounding, passing, all those kind of things. Uh, so, you know, part of our thought process, right or wrong, and keep in mind there was some discrepancy, right? I got fired in preseason and Igor Koshkov got fired after no, one totally, year. Yeah. Uh, but part, part of our thought process was um, the balance, you know, with Devin Booker in the backcourt, uh, DeAndre Ayton in the front court, rebounding, defense, uh, defensive potential. Obviously, he wasn't a great defender at U of A, certainly improved in that area. Uh, and then, you know, just the physical anchor on the interior. And then after we got Ayton, um, you know, getting bridges on the wing in that same draft, to put uh, in, in between them, we thought was, so that was, you know, obviously criticized. Luke has been phenomenal. Um, th- those three guys and the Suns have done pretty well collectively. Uh, so that's why one of the things why it's so hard for a team, you, you're not drafting, uh, you know, in a vacuum or it's easy to go, I think sometimes go back and nitpick and say, well, it should have been this guy. You need to bake all of that in and figure out when, when you hand the ball to the coach in training camp and say, look, play these guys, figure out how to play them together. How is it all going to work? And how are the guys going to complement each other? Right. And I think at the end of the day, that's why I was uh, like, I think I would at the end of the day, if I was Orlando, probably consider Jabari Smith uh, over Chet, despite the fact that I might have Chet at number one on my board. So there it is. Uh, Jabari Smith, number one overall pick, which means we're going to the number two pick, which is Jeff Goodman drafting for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I have no idea where this one's going to go. We have our uh, our confirmed loose cannon making the number two overall pick. Yeah, I'm not going Shaden Sharp, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, <laughs> even though I'm concerned. And, and I do have a little bit of a love affair with Shaden Sharp, the mystery man of this year's draft. Um, but listen, Sam Presti's got a tough decision on his hands here. He, he really does. I mean, you know, they need a lot. Uh, we know that. They've got about, you know, 104 picks over the next six drafts, first-round picks. He stockpiled them uh, kind of like uh, Danny Ainge did a few years ago, and eventually he'll probably start – uh, moving them but listen on this pick it's it's chatter or paulo and you couldn't look at two different players in scenarios right i mean paulo is the ultimate you kind of know what you're going to get he's going to come in and make an impact right away and i think he's going to impact winning right away big strong athletic fairly tough um and you got chet who if you're a gm you're scared as hell to pick because of, of looking at his body, but you're, you're even more scared not to pick because if you miss on a guy that's going to be a franchise player and a unicorn of sorts, and he could stay healthy and add 30 pounds, you could be looking at a dude that is like Porzingis like in the offensive end and a hell of a lot better than Porzingis in the defensive end. He, he could be a dominant defender if he puts on 30 pounds. So I think here, if I'm Sam Presti and I'm Oklahoma City and I'm a small market, I roll the dice. I roll the dice and I take, I take a swing on Chet Holmgren rather than going with Paolo, who I think will be an all-star. But again, with Chet, yeah, I mean, listen, you, you might get a guy who's 
out of the league in a few years because he can't put on and sustain the weight and physicality of the league, or you may get a guy who's an NBA star. So just so everyone that's watching this knows, we told, uh, told our panel to have a pick made in 30 to 45 seconds. Goodman just rolled two and a half minutes, making the pit for Chet Holmgren. Matt, we got about 30 seconds. What's your take? Is that the right decision or the wrong decision? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a reasonable take. I mean, that's what everybody's projecting is going to actually happen. I, uh, I, I do think, it's a, it's a tough decision, and it's a good problem to have if, if you're Oklahoma City or Sam Presti. Because I, I think between Chet, Paulo, and Jaden Ivey, all, all three are exceptional talents with a lot of upside, just all very different. It's sort of a, a pick-your-poison type type of deal. Uh, me, personally, I, I really like Jaden Ivey. I think his upside is through the roof. Just his athleticism and burst uh, makes him potentially special. Uh, but, again, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a wrong decision here. All right, so we are now moving on to the number three pick in this draft, which is going to be uh, the Houston Rockets. Its pick is going to be made by Sam Vecini. And Sam, I think I know where you're going to go with this pick. Yeah, I just want to note that I was the one that was worried coming into this about being long-winded in my answers. (laughs) And then we have Goodman roll for two and a half minutes. Look, this is an easy one for me. It's Paulo Bancaro at number three. Houston just needs talent at the end of the day. I don't love the fit of Alperin Sengun and Paulo Bancaro in the front court, but I'm not convinced we've seen enough from Alperin Sengun on the defensive end to know for sure that he can be the kind of guy that can play in a playoff series quite yet. So at the end of the day, I'm taking the guy that I think is the best fit with Jalen Green because that two-man game, I think, between Jalen Green and Paulo Bancaro is a chance to be genuinely special. Paulo Bancaro's passing ability, I think, is maybe the most underrated skill that any player has in this class. Uh, Being able to run these inverted actions, you know, 4-1, 1-4 ball screens with Jalen Green is going to be really, really special in my opinion. And uh, I just am such an enormous fan of the mismatch nightmares that he's going to create on the offensive end for the Houston Rockets. So it's easy. It's Paulo Bancaro at number three for the Houston Rockets. Ryan, how do you feel about that? It seemed like that's exactly what Houston's thinking. I'm seeing some of the reporting from Jonathan Gamoni and others last night. They made the deal yesterday with uh, the Dallas Mavericks to bring in Christian Wood. Um, excuse me, send out Christian Wood, freeing up some space in the front court, getting a pick later in the 20s, and then a bunch of expiring contracts, some or all of which they'll probably waive. They did it, I think, to, to move Wood out and to get a later pick. Uh, so for me, it, it knows they, they know they have their guy. And at three, they know they're going to get one of these guys, right? If, if, if the, the order's jumbled in the top two, if, if Holmgren or Smith slides, it seems like they're comfortable taking them. But uh, I imagine the, the draft's going to go exactly the way uh, the actual draft next week is going to go exactly the way that our first three picks have gone. That's because we have the best experts covering the draft here. So uh, it's probably going to be exactly the way that we roll this out. Uh, you got about 30 seconds here, Jeremy. I want to know, how do you think that fit between Jalen Green and Paolo Bancaro is going to work? Are there enough shots to go around between those two? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I think one of the sort of underrated things about Paolo, who I have at number two on my, my own board, um, is he can play both ends of the, the two-man game, right? Like, he can be the screener and he can be dangerous or he can bring the ball up. Like, they did that a little bit at Duke with, with Mark Williams, screening for him. So, like, I think I think with, with Jalen as a player, you know, as talented as he is, um, I think you just – you get two guys like that and you try to get them to build chemistry, and I think it can work. Like, they're both, you know, unselfish enough, uh, and particularly Paolo, like, as Sam said, you know, he's, he's a really, really good passer, which sometimes gets lost uh, in the whole – dialogue about him so uh, i don't see why it can't work uh you know you have to figure out what to put around them um but those two guys together i wouldn't have any concerns about no 
So the top three in this draft, I think all of us uh, kind of agree are a consensus, uh, which means we're moving to the number four pick, we're moving to Sacramento, where you never really know what's going to end up happening uh, with the way that they draft. So Ryan, this is on you. There's a lot of pressure, man. This is the kind of the, the first decision point and inflection point of this draft. Who are you going with number four? Want to save on your grocery bill? Every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's best value meal kit for delicious dinners that don't break the bank. I just got mine last week and it was big time. Uh, makes my life so much easier and the food is really, really good. And with my daughter headed to college in the fall, it also lets me save some actual money. Uh, at first, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, but it turns out every plate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste. You know, like that bag of spinach you throw out every single week? Skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. Every plate offers options for everybody. Choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering that code Goodman179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal. Go to everyplate.com, type in Goodman179. And Rob, that's why when, when Jeff asked me to do this mock draft, I said, I'll do it, but I want the fourth pick. To me, this is where the excitement <laughs> begins. Uh, the top three went according to form. Obviously, Sack made a big deal last year, bringing in Demodis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. As we know, they unfortunately have the longest playoff drought in NBA history, uh, which they would like to end. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to throw a, a curveball here. Uh, I'm going to trade this pick to Indiana for Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna keep the pick and draft Jaden Ivy from Purdue. I understand that's controversial, um, given De'Aaron Fox's place on the roster, and given that a year ago they did something similar. In fact, in the last couple drafts, they they drafted Halliburton, who was an excellent pick. Obviously, he's now in Indiana, and then a year ago drafting Mitchell when they were backcourt heavy. Um, but I give Monty McNair a lot of credit. It's not easy to do. He has drafted consistently. They've drafted the best player available, in my opinion. It just happens to be in the backcourt. Uh, so I'm going to do it again here. And I agree with what Matt said earlier about Jaden Ivey. I wouldn't at all be surprised if, as we look back on this draft in five or ten years and say Jaden Ivey is the best player to come out of the draft class. I know those front court players are getting – a lot of attention, but I think this kid's a Ferrari. I mean, the way he moves with the ball in his hands is different. It's John Morant-like. It's John Wall-like pre-injuries. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as those guys. Obviously, Morant is an MVP candidate, but this kid has a special gear. And I think with the way the NBA is going and the lack of contact with the ball handler, um, it's going to be really difficult, if not impossible, to stay in front of Jaden Knight. As the guy picking number five for Detroit, I am right now absolutely devastated. Matt, I'm going to go to you real quick on this. How do you fit all of those guards together in the backcourt? How do you make that work? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a great fit. Um, you know, and on our, our, our mock drop on basketball news, I do have Jaden Ivey going number four. Uh, I, I think this is a, a strong candidate to a pick that could be moved. I know there's a lot of teams that feel the same way that Ryan and I do about Ivey. And I've actually I've heard the exact phrase Ferrari uh, when describing him before, too. And uh, yeah, so I have a hard time seeing Ivy slipping past four, but I'm not sure it'll be to Sacramento. So we'll, we'll see. Sam, any I, takes I, on this? I'll go ahead, Ryan. I was just going to agree, agree with what Matt said in that I don't think 
the three picks get traded, the first three picks get traded, as we sit here a week before the draft, I think this pick is very much in play for all the reasons I mentioned. Sacramento wants to win. They have a backcourt in place with Fox and Mitchell. If they can get a win-now player, uh, I think they, they trade out, they drop down. They want to win, and this pick has a lot of value to the other 29 teams. So I will be making the fifth pick in this draft, and one of the things that I have written down for Detroit is find a way to get Jaden Ivey. I think that with the Pistons, you, you, you have Kate Cunningham, and I think Kate Cunningham is going to end up being a superstar uh, as this thing kind of plays out. I think you build everything around him um, and then kind of figure out everything else beyond that. I think Kate, is the per- uh, Kate and Jaden, to me, is the perfect combination of, in the backcourt. So if you can find a way to get up to there to the fourth pick uh, to get Jaden Ivey, if you're Detroit, I think that's what you do. Beyond that, um, their needs, they need talent, they need athleticism, and they need shooting. Uh, I think that Sadiq Bay and Jeremy Grant are kind of nice pieces, nice rotational pieces, nice guys to put around um, someone like a Cade Cunningham. Um, I'm not sold on Killian Hayes. I wasn't sold on him before the draft. I'm not sold on him now after his first two seasons in the league. I think you do eventually need a uh, pick-and-roll lob threat for Cade Cunningham. I don't think uh, Marvin Bagley or Isaiah Stewart are going to be the answer long-term there. Uh, so at this point, given who's on the board, I think I would go with Keegan Murray simply because of the fact that he's 6'8". He's got a pretty good wingspan. He's a very good shooter. We know he's a scorer. And the idea of being able to put Cade Cunningham out there with Keegan Murray – and Jeremy Grant, assuming he's back, and Sadiq Bay. all of a sudden you have four guys that are pretty switchable, that are all 6'8", that all have pretty good wingspans that can all kind of make shots, and all of a sudden you have a lot of space to let your superstar operate. Uh, I didn't see anybody react too crazily to that, so I'm going to go to you, Jeff. Uh, tell me why I'm dumb. That's what you're the best at. <laughs> I can do that well. But uh, here, listen, in terms of fit, you're right. I think Keegan Murray is the safest pick and he fits what they need the most. Um, again, you know, to me, the, the hard thing for Troy Weaver here is going to be passing on a kid like Shaden Sharp, who you don't know enough about, right? There's so many mysteries with him. You haven't seen him. He looks great in a workout, especially if he's making shots in that workout, which I've heard he's done in enough of them. So that's what I'd be worried about. But, yes, I think Keegan Murray is a solid pick. But, again, probably swinging for a double instead of maybe swinging for what could potentially be a home run. Yeah, Jimmy, I want to ask you about that real quick. What do you, what do you think his ceiling is? we got about 30 seconds here before we got to get to the sixth pick. Yeah, I, the player that I've used, I think, a lot um, with Keegan is, like, John Collins in terms of, like, not, not like a direct comparison, but in terms of, like, the productivity that he brings. And, like, you know, you can debate – you know, how valuable, you know, Collins is, you know, and obviously he's a guy who's come up as a trade possibility, but like, I don't see how, you know, any issue with Keegan as far as just getting to that level, just because he, he plays so hard. He fits with so many different types of players. He's active. I actually think he's an underrated athlete. Like having seen him a few times this year, um, he moves better than you think. He, he gets off the floor pretty quick. So I, I think there's enough there with the shooting and the rebounding that he's a pretty, pretty productive player, if not an all-star. So we'll see. Yeah, I, I think he could end up being a Cam Johnson kind of a guy at the next level, just hangs around the league for 12 years. All right, pick number six. We have the Indiana Pacers on the clock, and Matt Babcock, I am going to you. No, thanks, Rob. Hey, first of all, I'm, I'm disappointed in your pick because if I'm the Pacers, I want Keegan Murray in the worst way. I, mean, I think he fits that team so perfectly as a face-up four. They've got you know somewhat of a logjam on the perimeter. Uh, I think there's questions whether Brogdon or Buddy Heald are going to stick there long-term. Uh, so for me, if I'm looking at the Pacers, I'm going with the, you know, the best player on the board to me is Benedict Matherin. 
I was tempted by Shaden Sharp's upside, uh, but Matherin has upside, uh, and and I think he's somewhat of a safe pick. Uh, you know, just a, an incredible athlete that shoots the ball well, and I think he's got potential to be a good defender. Uh, some people might think I'm a little bit of a homer since I'm a U of A alum like you, Jeff. So, um, but I'm I'm going with Benedict Matherin. Good man, I'm going to you first on this one. That's your boy. That's your that's your Wildcat right there. Yeah, no, I think it's a hell of a pick, and not because he's an Arizona Wildcat, just because. Again, you look at what he can be, right? I mean, he's got the size. He's the prototypical wing. And the biggest thing that he did was he expanded his game this past year. He went from a guy that was, to me, kind of a, you know, single dimensional, just a, a shooter. He was a spot-up shooter his freshman year. And now he started to put the ball on his floor, on the floor, get some confidence, explode the basket. If he could take that jump and, and be even more confident, I think he could be an all-star potential guy where Shaden Sharp has that. But again, Shaden, and, and we're going to keep going through it every pick here. It's just who's you're, going you're to going take the to, risk. You're going to. Every I pick am. you're going to say Shaden Sharp. Every <laughs> single one until they get But there. every GM is. Every GM yeah. is here because they don't have enough information on him it, with their own well, eyes. Well, we'll talk about Shaden when, when, he, when he ends up getting drafted. I want to make one point real quick on, on Matherin. Uh, Sam, he is a guy that is uh, – Two, uh, I'm sorry, six weeks younger than Chet Holmgren. He's a sophomore, six weeks younger than Chet yeah. Holmgren. How much does age play into this? Yeah, I think that we're all just like kind of acting like Ben Matherin is this safe pick without any upside. And like he's like in the Keegan Murray class. He's like, like you said, six months, six months younger than Chet Holmgren. He's like six months or seven months older than Dyson Daniels. He's freshman age. Like this is a really young player that has substantial upside on top of that. I think his growth trajectory over the course of the last few years. I mean, this is a kid that was in Montreal then went down to the, uh, NBA Academy down in Mexico city and then went to Arizona and there was an adjustment period when he got to Arizona. Like, I think that as he continues to get comfortable, gets more mature uh, in the game of basketball, there is real potential for growth here with Ben Mather and given his athleticism, particularly. So we are now on to pick number seven. My heart palpitated there for a minute because we lost Jeremy, but now he's back to make the number seven pick for the Portland Trailblazers. Jeremy, go ahead floor is yours yeah yeah i'm uh, excited about this one uh dyson daniels is gonna be my pick here at number seven uh one of my favorite guys in the whole draft uh someone who i think is like still kind of underrated like i feel like his stock you know went up around the combine but at the same time like i don't know if he's like fully appreciated in terms of like i, I just think his ability to, to play on the ball uh play off the ball defend i think potentially four positions i think he's big enough and tough enough that he'll you know eventually defend fours and small lineups like that's like a, a dream, uh, you know, player for the playoffs with the way you know things are being played right now. You know, you can't play him off the floor. You can play different guys next to him. He can get the ball to court and, you know, picking here for Portland, um, knowing that they are, you know, trying to keep this thing alive with, with Damian Lillard for as long as he is, you know, healthy and in his prime. Uh, I think having a big ball handler like Dyson who can, you know, bring the ball up and allow Dame to kind of play off, but also uh, give them a lot of defensive cover uh, when, cause they're going to need it with Dame on the court. Um, I think it's a perfect fit. So if, if they don't trade this pick, which I would have wanted to do if you guys had let me, but you didn't. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm taking Dyson and I feel pretty good about it. I think here. Ryan, I want to ask you real quick about this. How do you balance if you're in a situation like the trailblazers are where you have an aging superstar and you're kind of in win now mode, you're also drafting a lottery, which means you weren't very good. How do you balance trying to improve shooting for the moon while also being able to win in the immediate term? 
I think there are two paths, Rob, and it seems like they've already chosen their path, which was to hit the bottom quickly and then try to come right back up last year. The other path is a full-blown rebuild. In that case, I think Damian Lillard would go out. It doesn't seem like they're interested in doing that. So in this case, um, you know, I, I agree. Like, I, I think uh, seven's very much in play. We've heard the rumors with Detroit and Jeremy Grant. Uh, I like Dyson Daniels a lot, um, you know, as, as a player. Uh, and this, this range of the draft guys, just kind of broadly speaking, is really, really interesting to me because this is where the variance comes in, right? We had those top four guys that I think are relatively consensus. You have a safe player like Keegan Murray. And then really this mid-lottery to me is all about your risk tolerance. Uh, Jeff's boy, Shaden Sharp, is the most risky, maybe has the most upside. Uh, Dyson Daniels, Matherin, uh, others in that range as well. Um, so, so this is where the draft gets fascinating to me in this mid-lottery. And, and I wouldn't be at all surprised. Uh, you know, we talked about a Sacramento four with Portland to seven if these picks get moved around on or prior to draft night. Goodman, you got about 20 seconds here. G League Ignite program. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for basketball? I don't know. I don't care. But uh, I know Jason Hart really <laughs> likes Dyson Daniels, and he coached him. So that, that's the biggest thing to me is Jason Hart really liked his work ethic. So he shot it better towards the end of, of the season. So uh, I trust Hart in his assessment. That's, that's how it goes with us. I don't know. I don't care. That's what I get from Goodman when I ask him questions. All right, Jeremy, we are going back to you. We had a little bit of an issue with uh, the picks getting traded the day before this uh, mock draft was to happen. So Jeremy's making back-to-back picks. You have the New Orleans Pelicans at number eight. Who do you got, Jeremy? Mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. I was on mute. I couldn't. I'm just so excited to take another Jeremy here. I'm taking Jeremy Sohan uh, from Baylor, um, who is, you know, another guy who I really like. Uh, I think probably a little bit, maybe more controversial here at this spot. Um, but I just, I love the energy he brings. I love the, the way he kind of is in the middle of every play. Uh, he's not a guy who's going to have to score a lot early uh, to be valuable. Uh, but the other stuff he does is going to get him in the game and give him a chance to develop and get a lot of minutes. Like, you know, it's not, it's not a direct comparison, but if you look at sort of the success Scotty Barnes had as a rookie, you know, Scotty's different level, I think, of, of prospect. But just it was clear that the stuff he did so well, you know, it was important to have him in the game for Toronto. And I, I think Sohan, you know, can have that sort of similar effect where, you know, he might play more than you think and he might be better than you think uh, the more you play him. You know, as a guy who can switch, who plays really hard, who I think is eventually going to shoot, he's a good passer. Uh, I see a little bit of like Joakim Noah in him in a weird way, just with uh, sort of just the uh, the vibe he brings and sort of the way he, you know, picks up his teammates. And uh, I was also there for his best game of the season when they played uh, at Baylor or Baylor played Kansas in Waco. And I was there for that. So I cut that kind of swayed me. Uh, so that's my pick. Got ben, I know you are better hair for that, Jeremy, by the way. <laughs> debatable. I think that's debatable. Look around the Sam, room. I- Sam, I know you are a certified Jeremy Sohan stan, so I want to know your take on this uh, this young man. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, I have uh, Jeremy in a very similar you know area of the draft to where Jeremy Wu does, <laughs> and I uh, I love him defensively. He's a legit one through five switch defender, and there those guys are in precious few commodities in today's NBA. Uh, you know, Jeremy brought up Scotty. Barnes and even Scotty struggled with guards this year in the NBA occasionally. Uh, and I think that Jeremy Sohan is a bit 
better defensively than Scotty is. The thing is that he's not quite as good offensively. The thing that I particularly like about this fit in New Orleans, though, is that New Orleans loves these guys that are super versatile, positionally versatile. And then they think that they can teach them to shoot at some point because Fred Vincent is there. He's one of the best shooting coaches in the NBA. And I think that this would be my ideal landing spot for Jeremy Sohan. Like if I was picking purely on behalf of the prospect as opposed to on behalf of the team, I would love for Jeremy Sohan to end up in New Orleans. You got about 10 seconds. Why? Uh, Just because of the shooting. I think he'd really absolutely be able to improve the shooting uh, a little bit quicker here. All right. Well, Jeremy Sohan is off the board at number eight. I am picking number nine for the San Antonio Spurs. And uh, my decision, I I don't know if this is what they would actually do, but I think that the Spurs are very much in uh, talent acquisition mode. I think they need to add good basketball players and as many good basketball players as I can, because if you look at their roster, I think that they're kind of lacking in good basketball players, which is a problem when you're playing in the National Basketball Association. I think DeWante Murray has been... um, He's been good. He's been a little bit of a pleasant surprise. And I think they have a lot of wings and a lot of guards on their roster. So again, picking a wing and a guard and a guy that's going to kind of play the same position as maybe a Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell and Alani Walker is, uh, is, is maybe not exactly what they would do, but again, just acquire talent, which is why I am taking Jeff Goodman's favorite player, Shaden Sharp with the number nine pick uh, to San Antonio Goodman. I'm going to open the floor to you. This is your guy. You love him. You are on the record saying that he is better than Zion Williamson. So take it away. More impactful. If he had stayed in college, he would have won more tournament games than Zion Williamson. That's what I said. This is an insane take, by the way. Yeah, I agree. It would have been true. Listen, Shaden Sharp, to me, I I think has a chance to be the best player to come out of this draft. I I really believe that. What percent chance? I don't know what percent, uh, 12%. No, I, <laughs> I don't know. But listen, all I'm saying is Shaden Sharp in the right situation, I, I think can be a hell of an NBA player. I'm not sure San Antonio is the right situation because he's going to have to deal with, with DeJounte Murray having the ball in his hands. So I don't think he's going to see the ball a whole hell of a lot, number one. Uh, number two, I don't think he's going to be set up uh, to succeed. Not a lot of talent, but I think he put up numbers there. I think he get a hell of a second contract because he put up big-time numbers for a team that's not going to win a lot of games. But what Jaden Sharp is, is a 6'6 wing who, if he works his ass off, will be able to score from all three levels. And that's the biggest question I have for him. And that's the biggest question NBA guys have as well. Work ethic. Will he work hard enough to become a really, really good NBA player? Yeah, Ryan, when you're making a pick on someone that's coming out of high school, I don't know if you've ever had to do that, but there's so much that's unknown. How does how do you go evaluating a player? He did with the Celtics. How do you go evaluating a player like this? My first three years with the Celtics, Rob, uh, we dra- when I was working alongside Danny H in the front office, we drafted Kendrick Perkins, Al Jefferson, and Gerald Green, 2003 to 2005, and then they changed the rules. It's very difficult. To Jeff's point, you, you have such limited information. I'm probably actually more about Shaden Sharp now than you did about those guys because the video quality is so much better, uh, more reliable stats from the AU circuit. Uh, but this is a gamble, and this is a home run swing. I will say this relative to San Antonio. Their question is about when Pop's going to retire. If they draft Shaden Sharp, he may just do it and say, you know what, well, I'm, I'm not going to see this. So I'll, let, I'll hand it off to, to Quinn Snyder or somebody else let him develop this kid (laughs) Uh, all right Ryan we are going right back to you with uh, pick number 10 
the Washington Wizards. What do you do? You got Brad Beal there, and uh, and I don't know about all that much else. So where are you going with this number 10 pick? Yeah, th- this may surprise some people. I, I guess we're getting to the Love range it. now where there's probably more variance on different people's draft boards uh, at 10. Um, I'm going to go with another wing out of the Big 12, Ochai Agbaji out of, out of Kansas. Um, I really like this kid. I mean, you know, his productivity speaks for itself. And I, I like the fit a lot in Washington. I think he's exactly what the Wizards need. They need a versatile wing. Uh, they need who can shoot it, who can, it can defend. And also, frankly, can play right away, given Brad Beal. Uh, it's, I, I'm thinking of everything I've heard that Brad Beal is going to re-sign the deal, um, you know, long-term max deal in Washington with the Wizards. But as you guys know, in today's NBA, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Just because he signs it doesn't mean he's going to be there for five years or whatever it is. Uh, so I, I really like Agbaji. I think he's underrated relative to some of the other prospects in this draft. I know he's a four-year college player and, and executives, including myself, tend to pick apart these kind of guys. Uh, most outstanding player in the final four on the best team in the country. I like his strength. I like his athleticism. I really like that he improved as a three-point shooter. Uh, I thought he could make shots off the catch or off the dribble. Has the potential to be a good on-ball defender. So this may not be a grand slam pick, but I think you're getting a solid rotational player who could be a starter and is a perfect positional fit for the Washington Wizards. Matt, let me ask you a question. So Oshai Agbaji was one of the most improved players in college basketball last season. How do you evaluate a guy that may have already made his leap? Or is he already a finished product and NBA player? I mean, it's different. I mean, he's definitely a plug-and-play guy. I mean, we've, we've all followed him since he stepped foot at KU. And, uh, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, he was so impressive physically and uh, just continued to get better. I mean, I remember last year uh, we had him projected as a second-round pick pretty much the entire year. He came back, and I was at that – I think, Jeff, you're at this game. I think both of you guys are at this game uh, opening night in Madison Square Garden. He was terrific and, and really never looked back the whole year. And so I, I don't know if there's a ton of upside, but, I mean, the guy's going to be a good player. I mean, he's supposed to be a great kid good athlete and he, he does the number one thing he shoots the ball so uh, you know I think it's maybe a touch high for him but not not a bad pick by any means Rob Jeff, part of my thought process and, and my bias here is my last draft for the Phoenix Suns we traded for Mikel Bridges and I like Mikel better than this kid but but there's similar concerns about Mikel you know multi-year college player what is his upside how good can he be well he was just just second in the league for defensive player of the year and is the best you know, most versatile defender, one of the best four players on the best team in the league. I'm not saying Adbaji is going to be that, but I think often everybody, including myself in the draft, tends to pick apart some of the veteran guys and think they don't have the ability to continue to advance. And I think Adbaji is a, you know, at least a solid starter on a decent team. That was definitely what we would call a, uh, a humble brag saying that I was the guy that, that helped pick uh, Mikhail Bridges. So um, we are now on to pick number 11. Matt, I am going back to you. You are drafting for the New York Knicks. If you guys are watching this and you're a Knicks fan, make sure you hit that like button uh, on the stream right now so uh, Matt can pick the guy that you want. They're, they're probably not going to like it. I mean, I'm sure we all feel the same. <laughs> when we update our mock drafts, we always, you know, I always think twice about what I'm doing with the Knicks pick because that's where I'm going to get roasted. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for giving me this pick, guys. Uh, but, yeah, with, uh, with, with this pick, uh, I mean, the Knicks need more talent, and, and I'm going with the best player on the board. I'm going with Johnny Davis from Wisconsin. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's the guy that that probably peaked a little early during the season. I mean, he was getting some hype as a potential, you know, top pick. I, I never really thought he was quite that, but he, he's a dang good player. Uh, Three-level score, and he is tough as heck. I mean, that guy really competes, uh, defends, he rebounds. I think he's tough enough to handle the bright lights in New York and, and give them an you know, additional piece as they continue to build. Sam, we've talked about this uh, off air. I'm curious, how do you see him fitting in the league? Is he a guy that can play the one? Is he a guy that can play off the ball? Is he a little bit of a tweener? Where do you see him 
best long-term? Yeah, I think he's definitely an off-ball, like, two-guard for sure. I I was really happy that he measured really well at the Combine. That was one concern that a lot of scouts had. Just how big is he? Is he, you know, six foot three without shoes on? Or is he more in the, you know, six foot four and a half where he's six foot six in shoes and that might be okay for him to slide down to the two and the three defensively? Uh, I love his defense. I think that he's going to fit really, really well with Tom Thibodeau if he ends up in New York. Uh, He's the kind of guy that I think – you know, rookies have not tended to have a lot of success in the Thibodeau scheme and in the Thibodeau uh, regimes that he's been a part of. But uh, Johnny Davis is such a competitor that I can see that working. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan of Johnny Davis. This probably would have been my pick as well. I think that under the bright lights of New York, he is someone that would absolutely succeed. He would thrive in that setting. So, uh, you know, whether or not it's a great fit with RJ Barrett, I think is something of a question, just given the fact that they both do like that mid range area a little bit more than you would like to see from like a modern day offense, uh, given that neither of them are like wildly explosive or phenomenal three point shooters. But uh, you know, those are problems that you figure out down the road. I think. Jeremy, we got about 40 seconds here. I'm going to go to you. He was the runner-up for National Player of the Year. How do you see that uh, kind of impacting to the next level? We see a guy that's ready for the moment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think the with, with Johnny, and I say this having gone to like 11 Wisconsin games this year, which is probably more than I will ever go to in my life. I, I'm in Chicago, <laughs> so it's a quick drive. But he, uh, I think the intangibles are a really big part of the the sell here, like you know, you could, you talked about, you know, him versus Sharp versus Matherin, those three guys. I mean, I think Sharp and Matherin, it's easier to look at them and see, you know, the, the athletic stuff. But Johnny's makeup uh, is part of why he had such a good year battling through injuries. And I think it's going to matter um, at the next level as well. And yeah, he's going to have to be ready for it because that New York media is going to be coming for him. Coming up, we have pick number 12. We are going to Jeff Goodman, we are going back to Oklahoma City. You didn't get your boy Shaden Sharp at number two. Uh, who are you taking at number 12? Sam Presti uh, has the worst shooting team in the NBA. Um, the NBA, you, you don't win without shooters. And the best shooter maybe in this entire draft is A.J. Griffin, who was injured coming into the season and still shot 45% from three this year at Duke without getting a ton of reps. You know, obviously he had to share the wealth with uh, a lot of guys on that team, including Paulo, who uh, we picked number three tonight. But I, I think Griffin's got the size. He can he can obviously shoot the hell out of the ball. I, I'm not sure if he's going to be like a three and D guy because I don't I don't know how good a defender he's going to be at the next level. I think that's going to take time for him. But you know, certainly Dad, being a, a former NBA player and coach, uh, help with his transition and his readiness. But I, I think Oklahoma City's got to get a shooter, and AJ Griffin's the best shooter on the board. Yeah, he's he's worked his way through some injuries um, over the course of the last two to three years. Even in the preseason, he had another knee injury. I think it was a meniscus, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't have it in front of me. Um, Sam, I know you've talked at length about him. Um, I know that he's a little bit of a polarizing guy. He could be one of the three or four best players in this draft. He could also be a guy that does nothing more than make threes and not guard. How do you feel about AJ? Yeah, I think that you have to start with the shooting. Uh, Like Jeff said, he is a genuinely elite shooter. I think he's the second best shooting prospect in this draft behind Jabari Smith. And anytime that you can get that guy in the lottery, especially in the back half of the lottery, I have no problem doing it. 
having said that, the reason that I don't have him is like the fifth or sixth guy, given the fact that he genuinely has a chance to be a high level shot creator is the defense. It, it's a real tools versus tape argument. He is six foot six. He is, uh, has like a six foot 11 wingspan. He is very capable of down the road becoming a good defender, but the tape this year at Duke is horrible. Like he is a very, very bad <laughs> defender he was this year and that's okay it's not to say that he will be long term he was an 18 year old playing college basketball but uh, I didn't like the way that he fought through screens I didn't like the way that he was aware and engaged off the ball Uh, I I thought that he just didn't really do a good job on the ball even like it it was just a mess all across the board and he has potential at some point to be a good defender I'm not writing him off long term it's just the tape is not very good and you have to gauge how to you know, how you think he can grow on that end. Matt, you got about 10 seconds. Wrap it up. Give me a take on A.J. Griffin. Yeah, I mean, he's a little one-dimensional, but the one thing he does is, is very viable, is shooting the ball, and he's able to create his own shot, too. He's got, he's got a sweet step back. Uh, but, Sam, your concerns, I, you know, I, share, I share the same. All right. We are moving on to pick number 13. That is Jeremy. It is the Charlotte Hornets. They are building around the mellow ball. Um, you have two picks, two, uh, two of the next three picks if you're Charlotte, Jeremy. So as you kind of walk through making this pick, take me through the thought process of uh, what happens when you have two picks that are that close. Yeah, um, well, I think, again, were we able to trade around, I would have looked to move at least one of these picks. I just think it's a, it's a good value proposition. You kind of know, like, you know, you can think about it both ways. Like, you can trade 13 having, like, look, obviously Charlotte needs a big, uh, Cleveland, I don't know which of you has the, the Cleveland pick, but I, I'm, I doubt you're going to take a center, right? So, like, Jalen Dern and Mark Williams are both on the board right now. I don't have to take that guy right now. I can take that guy at 15. So, like, um, knowing that we can't make trades, you know, I, I'm not going to take a big with this first pick. I'm probably going to take one at 15 uh, in about five minutes. But, uh, you know, here I, with, with 13, I'm just going to go, I think, straight upside here. I'm going to go with Usman Jang. Uh, the uh, NBL flavor will continue here in, in Charlotte. Uh, and I, I think and he's a guy who definitely improved his, his standing with, with the NBA. Like at the middle of the year, I think people were not really sure what to make of his struggles in Australia uh, or with the breakers. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, his last six weeks were just much, much better. And you could see it on tape that was starting to click for him. And I think, uh, you know, with his size and length and smoothness, you know, he doesn't have a lot of like athletic pop, uh, but he can really pass, and I think he's going to shoot. And uh, I think Nick Batum has been used as a comp by people, and that's kind of the idea. Um, so I'm going to go with that. I just think having a big wing in Charlotte is, is kind of helpful with, with what's on the roster right now, and then I'll get my center uh, in, uh, you know, the next pick at 15. Goodman, do you know anything about Uzban Jang? <laughs> not enough. No, not enough. I, I know he came on late. I do know he came on late, but uh... – yeah, I was going to ask Jeremy more of and, and Sam and those guys, you know, who is he like and uh, what what's his game all about? So you, you guys know more. Yeah, about Sam, him. you're you're in Australia. You got about 45 seconds here. Just give me a, give me kind of the top down view of him. Australian correspondent. Let's go. I finally yeah. have use living over here. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think that the Batum comparison is right. Just less. He's less athletic is kind of the issue. Nick Batum, when he got to the NBA, was an incredible athlete. And, you know, you see similar processing speed, you see similar uh, ability to handle the ball at six foot nine uh, that Usman Jang has, and that is valuable. And I think he has real defensive tools as well. It's just going to be a project. Uh, He's never 
outside of these like last six weeks of his NBL season, hasn't really shot the ball consistently. So I think that uh, that's going to be the key for him, just being able to shoot the ball consistently uh, over the course of the early portion of his career. So there you have it. Pick number 13, Usman Jang from the New Zealand Breakers. Matt, we are going to you for pick number 14, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have a lot of interesting pieces. I think this is a team that could end up being uh, pretty good pretty soon. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Cleveland has done a great job of, of going into rebuild, and they're already competitive. I think they're ahead of schedule, really. And uh, interestingly enough, I think their books are pretty clean as well. They're right at the cap. They got Kevin Love and LaVert's contracts coming off after this year, uh, and they're able to add uh, you know, another lottery pick here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Malachi Branham, keep him in state in Ohio. And uh, it, to me, you know, he, he fits right in. I mean, I'm a big fan of Darius Garland. I think he's really made a, a huge jump this past year. He's great with the ball, you know, very – crafty, you know, creator for himself and, and teammates. And they, they have a lot of lineup flexibility too. They, they played huge this year that, you know, they played marketing and Mobley and Gerald Allen together a lot. And I think Branham's a guy that doesn't need the ball in his hands to be efficient, you know, be an efficient scorer. And so an off ball score that's very mature and composed for a guy that's, you know, come off his you know, freshman season, uh, just, just a great fit all the way around. Yeah, I think you also have enough good defenders on that team to make up for the fact that I don't think that Malachi Branham could guard anybody that is currently on this show. Uh, Ryan, I want to ask you this. Um, so let's let's pretend that that Jalen Duren went like number 11, right? And there's only one of those kind of elite centers on the board, and you know you want one if you're Charlotte. If you're Cleveland and you're picking 14 and you know that there's only one guy left and Charlotte is picking 15, how much leverage do you use? How do you how do you kind of move that around? How How much... Does your phone ring people looking for trades? Are you calling other people? Take me through those moments. It's one of those situations, Rob, where as an executive, you try to get out ahead of it, especially if you're president or GM. If you see this scenario coming, you have the guys or women on your staff getting in touch with other teams. Say, we're wide open. You know, pick 14, 15, whatever it is. Bring us your best offer. We have other – you try to create this frenzy and let people know the pick is available. Um, You know, you're not really specific about what you're looking for, what you want. You just say, look – you know, we've had previous conversations. We know you guys have interest in trading up. We will trade the pick. Bring us your best offer. And hopefully you have multiple offers uh, to sift through. Um, the thing, you, you know, it's, it's hard to do. I mean, you really have to have a lot of courage to do this is if, if you draft a player you don't want, and then you think you can later flip them. I've seen teams get in trouble doing that. Uh, so, so usually as, as you see the draft unfold, you try to get out ahead of it. And then hopefully with the five minutes on the clock, say, let's put everything up on the board, weigh all these offers we have on the table versus picking a, a player and then decide which path is best. Matt, put yourself in Cleveland's shoes. Are you shopping this as much as you can? You got about 20 seconds here. I mean, honestly, I, if, I'm, if I'm any team, I'm, I'm always shopping the pick and seeing what options are out there. I mean, I think, you know, that, that's a general manager's job is, is to, you know, continually, uh, you know, pursue every opportunity possible to improve the team. So, yeah, I, I would, I, every pick would always be available on some level or another if it were me. All right. So that is uh, Malachi Branham going number 14 to Cleveland. We are now out of the lottery. We are heading to pick number 15. We are going to go two minutes and 30 seconds on each of these picks. So it's going to be a little bit quicker. Jeremy, we're going to you. You are picking for someone for LaMelo Ball to throw lobs to. There's one guy that the world needs you to pick here. I hope you make the right decision. A lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, um, with, with Williams and Duran on the board here, it's pretty nice uh, to be able to make that choice. I think if you're splitting hairs, I think also because I went such big upside uh, at 13 with, with Jang, uh, knowing that it's going to take him a little time. I want, I think, a safer pick here, and I want someone who's going to, like, stabilize my team. Uh, so I'm going to go with Mark Williams. Um, 
I think his length and his uh, ability to catch lobs, and he's just he's just a bigger target. Uh, and I think defensively, he's going to offer more right away than than Duran will. Uh, I think Duran could certainly be better than Mark in a few years, but I think. Uh, you know, for what Charlotte needs, and they want to be an up-tempo team, and they want to also be defensively stable. Uh, I think having a giant guy like Mark, who's also going to be a huge threat uh, and knows exactly what his role is, is going to be a difference maker for them. Goodman, I'm going to you since I know you're such a big fan of the Ball family. Uh, if you're building around Lamelo, is this a winning strategy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I love the pick in Mark Williams. Um, I think, again, he, he gives you a, a big target on the offensive end that uh, LaMelo can throw it to, and I think he's terrific defensively. I mean, he's so big. He's so athletic. He can impact on both ends. He's not a guy that you're going to give the ball to on the post, um, but there aren't a lot of those guys anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I like Williams over Dern in this situation. I really do. Uh, Sam, is he switchable enough to be able to kind of play a modern five in, in a playoff series where we see teams switching everything these days? Yeah, I don't see him as switchable. I think you can run some versatile like screen coverages with him. Like you can play flatter, uh, with Mark Williams and he can recover using his length. Look, I, I probably would have gone with Jalen Duran here, if only because I think that he's a better lob catcher. I think that uh, his ability to just like go up with one hand, catch the ball on lobs, uh, and just finish all in one fell swoop and out high point people uh, with his leaping ability is genuinely special. Like I think he's one of the best lob catchers to enter the NBA since DeAndre Jordan. Uh, I think these two are very close, but for the particular Charlotte situation, I probably would have gone with Jalen Duran. Yeah, I think Mark Williams is a better player, but I think it, we need Jalen Dern there for the highlights. So, Jeremy, you failed that test. Uh, we are the, the, motor, the motor was the thing. <laughs> All right. We're going to pick number 16, the Atlanta Hawks. You're building around Trey Young. Ryan, this is to you. Who are you taking at number 16? This is a gift for me. This is a gift. I had this guy ninth on my draft board. Uh, let's me do some other things, put Clint Capella in play, John Collins potentially in play. We know those are actual things, especially with Collins that are being discussed. Uh, I am going to go with Jalen Duran. I had him right ninth overall on my board. Uh, just the productivity, you know, with that body, um, you know, I think in a lot of ways he's what Trey needs. We talked about it relative to LaMelo, the last pick, the lob catching ability, um, you, you know, like, like his body, like how he initiates contact, he hit first. Also that 37 inch vertical uh, is impressive. I really like breaking the, down the film. This kid's second jump. I think that's an underrated skill for a big man. He gets down and back up again. It's important for offensive rebounds, putbacks, things like that. Uh, so outside lottery, I think this is great value with the 16th pick Jalen Duran to the Atlanta Hawks. Matt, my comparison for Jalen Dern has been in Yucca Okongwu. And I think that if you are taking Jalen Dern where you would have drafted on Yucca Okongwu in the top six, then I don't know if I love it. If you can get him at 16 with an entirely different set of expectations, I, I think this is a really good pick with a lot of really good value. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it creates, uh, you know, some dilemmas. I mean, obviously you got a log jam there. I, I you know, I think, uh, you know, where, where does he play? Where does Onyeka play? Obviously, yeah, Clint Capel there as well. So fit-wise, it's not great. Uh, but at, at 16th pick, uh, I think it's one of these deals where you probably shouldn't overanalyze it. This guy's got a lot of upside. He's one of the youngest guys in the draft. Or is he the youngest guy in the draft? I, I know he reclassified um, his senior year. Um, yeah, so a young guy with upside. Jeremy touched on the motor. That's been my holdup with, with, with Jalen all along. I mean, especially when he was in high school, he's actually improved, uh, but very selective motor. Um, so, I mean, there are some concerns there, but the upside is, is legitimate. 
Goodman, we uh, we watched him play about 17 different times at Peach Jam last summer. You got 15 seconds here. What do you take on? What's your take on that? <laughs> well, that, that first time we we know what happened. He didn't play the whole second half. He didn't got show benched. up. To he basically overslept. But um, Jalen Duran is talented. It's just going to take time. He's going to be inconsistent, uh, but he's a freak athlete with the Alonzo Morning body. Yeah, he looks like Dwight Howard is 18 years old. Uh, that is not a normal thing. All right, pick number 17. We are going back down to Houston. Sam, you're picking again for the Rockets. Who do you have? Yeah, so again, this is a situation where I'm picking talent at the end of the day. And in this case, I'm lucky that I think the talent fits really well. I'm going Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky. Uh, I love the way that Ty Ty fits in both iterations of Houston's backcourt. I think that he can play really, really well next to Jalen Green. He kind of accentuates a lot of the skills that Jalen has. Jalen's going to be able to collapse the defense with his incredible athleticism, then kick it out to the weak side where Ty Ty can shoot. And then he can make decisions attacking closeouts and processing the game. That's what he really excels at. Uh, And then on top of it, I think he brings some of the steadiness that sometimes Kevin Porter can lack uh, on the offensive end, particularly just with his ability to make decisions it could free up Kevin Porter to be more of that high level scorer that I think we all believe that Kevin Porter can be so uh, I really like the fit of Ty Ty Washington here I think that uh, it's a really great potential fit as well with Paulo Bancaro who I just drafted in the front court Uh, yeah just kind of across the board I love this fit for Houston and it's one of those things that I really hope we actually see on draft night Goodman you went all in on Ty Ty in the preseason he did not have a great end to the season. I think part of that was a little bit of an ankle injury. Part of that was playing out of position. What's your take on Ty Ty at the next level? Yeah, I, I just don't think Cal Perry did a good enough job with Ty Ty, to be honest. And, and part of it was having severe Wheeler, and, and he's a ball-dominant uh, point guard who doesn't shoot it well. So I, I think Ty Ty can be a Jamal Murray type of player at the next level. I, I really do. I think he may not be quite the explosive scorer that Murray is, but neither one's a great athlete, similar size, similar body. I think Ty Ty's a much better passer with better feel for the game, but we just didn't see it at Kentucky. Ryan, I want to ask you this. How much do you consider the program that players are coming from when you draft them? Like we've seen Kentucky guards, Tyler Hero, Tyrese Maxey, Jamal Murray, all these guys outperform where they've been drafted. We actually drafted a Kentucky guard uh, in Phoenix, a couple of them actually. Uh, one's pretty good. He's number 13, I think. Uh, light skin, about 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Anyways, um, <laughs> you, no, no. Talk so, your so, shit, Ryan. Let's uh, go. Uh, hey, no, <laughs> we, we drafted a few guys that couldn't play dead in the Cowboy movie either, so we won't get into those. So, uh, but no, it, it's important. I, this kid in particular, I, I agree with Jeff. I like his touch. I love the floater, breaking him down on film. <laughs> That's another, another humble <laughs> brag. <laughs> Matt, you're number 18, Chicago Bulls. All right, so I got excited for a second thinking that Jalen Durant could slip to this pick. I would have taken him, but uh, so here I am. I'm, I'm going to take Tari Eason. Uh, I think Chicago uh, has got plenty of depth in the backcourt, and, and so I think with, with Tari, he's a talented scorer uh, that, that I think ultimately could play either forward spot. Just gives them some lineup flexibility, and you know, just another you know offensive punch. Uh, Jeremy, what's your take on Tari Eason? Do you buy the shot? Can that thing come around? Yeah. Um... I think, I mean, mechanically it's not pretty, but he shoots well enough from the line. He's made enough like open ones that I think he'll probably shoot enough. Uh, my bigger concern with him is just that there's not a lot of diversity to, you know, what he does on offense. Uh, it's a lot of right-hand drives. He's very effective doing that, but just like the put your head down, barrel to the rim thing is a lot harder to do in the NBA. 
uh, you know, particularly when, you know, you're so, you know, strong and dominant. Um, the two times I saw him this year, he was really inconsistent, uh, worries me a little bit, uh, gets in foul trouble a lot. A guy who I, I'm not personally as excited about, but I also think that there's only so far you can let him fall because, you know, physically he's so good, you know, he's so productive. I think there's a, definitely a chance that he figures it out. And, you know, the fact that defensively he won't get played off the floor uh, matters here too. So I think the upside of this pick is definitely there, uh, but he's just not my favorite guy. Sam, what is he if that jumper doesn't come around? Yeah, I think he's a bigger, more versatile version of Matisse Thibel, to be honest, because he's so big, he's so strong. Like, I think there are worlds where you could slide him down onto, like, smaller fives. Like, I think that he could stick on Bam Adebayo, someone like that. Uh, he could definitely stick on, like, a John Collins when he's down at the five. So, uh, you know, Clint Capella as well. So I think he gives you real lineup versatility while having that similar ability to make plays. Like Tari Eason, the, the thing that really came out of the combine is that he has absolutely enormous hands and he's so disruptive with those hands. He does such a good job. If he gets his hand on that ball uh, whenever he's digging down for a strip or whenever he's just trying to get into your handle, he's taking the ball. Like there's just not a way around it. And that's how he creates transition opportunities. He's a good weak side rim protector. He's just trying to make shit happen out there in a real substantial way. Yeah. And the big thing about him is he's always going to play hard. He's athletic and he's going to play hard. And that's Mm -hmm. something that you cannot teach. All right. That was pick number 18. We're on to number 19. It's Jeff Goodman picking for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Jeff, who you got? Listen, the Timberwolves were good this past year. Kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, uh, making the playoffs and, now I think you add a piece that can impact winning right away, and, and that's E.J. Liddell. You know, I think he fits well with with Carl Anthony Towns on the front line. I think Liddell's gotten so much better. He's kind of that undersized four, really, but in today's game, uh, that's shown to work. But he can make shots from the perimeter, and the biggest thing he did this past year, he can guard now. He slimmed down a little bit, and he can guard. So I, I think he's perfect for what they need in Minnesota, and he's a high-culture guy as well. I, I love EJ Liddell. I love him. Uh, I did our scouting report for EJ Liddell with Sam, who is an Ohio State alum, who is not quite as high on EJ Liddell as I am. So, Sam, why is that? Yeah, I just have some on-ball worries. I think that the idea of him being a small ball center is a little bit less attractive to me than someone like Grant Williams. Cause I don't know if he can quite anchor in the same way that Grant can like just physically against bigger guys. I think a lot of his blocks come from the weak side, just rotating over. And, and I ended up with EJ, you know, around 24, 25 on my board. Like, I, I think this is a completely reasonable pick. Uh, it, it's, I think that when you, once you start digging into the nuances a little bit, his game raises more questions than what the skill package would state, including the jumper. Like I have some uh, concerns with how flat the jumper is as he moves back uh, beyond the NBA line as well. So just, just some small concerns, I would say. Ryan, when you are drafting guys to play a role, what are the things that you are looking for? Well, how, how do you evaluate, can he buy into the team? Can he buy into a culture? Is he selfless? What are the things that you look for? That's where a lot of the intel with coaches, trainers, teammates comes into play. Um, one of the things I like about Jeff's pick here is I think this is something that Tim Connolly, the new president of Minnesota, would actually do. He's a positional fit for the Timberwolves, uh, a stat that I thought was really good courtesy of Ohio State. Uh, only two other players in the last 30 years have put up the numbers this kid has in terms of points, rebounds, assist blocks. 
uh, Jason Thompson from Ryder and Tim Duncan. Now he's not obviously Tim Duncan, but this is a productive player. So uh, I, I think a lot of it is the fit. And to Jeff's point, Minnesota's ahead of schedule. They need a win-now player. A guy could potentially be in the rotation. And uh, I really like EJ Liddell. In fact, I was hoping he was there a few picks later when I come back. <laughs> um, all right, so EJ Liddell goes number 19. I am picking for San Antonio. It's their second pick of the draft. I got Shaden Sharp at number nine for them. They are a team loaded with, with wings. Uh, I think they also need some shooting. They need upside. I think that finding a big man uh, would be key for them, um, assuming that uh, they have to deal with this uh, Jakob Purtle thing that's coming up in a year. Um, but I'm going to go – with another wing and Dagan Hughes, our producer is going to be mad at me because I don't actually have him on our list for uh, guys that they should target, but I'm going to go with Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. Cause it just feels like a very San Antonio Spurs thing to do to draft a guy from Santa Clara um, with the number 20 pick. He's six, six. He's got a huge wingspan. He makes threes. He's a guy that it seems like as people go back and watch more tape, he just continues to shoot up all of these draft boards and shoot up all of these rankings and given what they did with Josh Primo last year, which kind of surprised a lot of people, I think it makes sense for them to take uh, another Jalen Williams. He, he fits, um, he plugs some holes that they have on their roster. Jeremy, tell me why I'm crazy. Are you sure you picked the right Jalen Williams? <laughs> no, I, I think, I think this is, this makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think, I think Jalen Santa Clara Jalen uh, definitely fits kind of uh, in the way San Antonio wants to play. Um, I think it's, it's a nice fit also just because they, you know, they have so many young perimeter pieces. And I think that, you know, Jalen being able to kind of toggle on and off the ball, kind of play some one, two, and three, kind of depending on what they do. Uh, and I know that they, you know, they want to try Josh Primo more on the ball. He's someone they really believe in. Uh, I think having a guy who's just like a steady defender who can make a shot, who can run a little bit of offense, I think uh, he fits pretty well there. So uh, I sign off on that. Matt, when did he first come on your radar as a prospect? Uh, throughout the year, uh, and we watched some film on him. And, I mean, in, in, at the Combine is where he really rose up, I think, with, with all of us. I mean, measured well, uh, showed his versatility. I mean, th- you know, talking to some coaches in that conference, think, think he's going to be a point guard when it's all said and done. Uh, but, I mean, I think the point of it is just the versatility that he brings, uh, you know, creates some, some advantages for, for a team like San Antonio. Uh, Ryan, you got about 10 seconds here. How do you, how do you evaluate players that play in some of these smaller leagues? It's hard. I can, with this kid, I was a little concerned that his team lost to most of the best teams, Gonzaga, St. Mary's, but I like that he played on the ball. And I, I agree. I think he can be a point guard with his skill and playmaking ability. Sam, I'm going to you for pick number 21, the Denver Nuggets. Who do you have here? This is an interesting one. They got that, that that's going to be a team that's going to get healthy and be dangerous. Well, boys, uh, I know I'm in the room with a lot of Arizona guys. I'm going to take one of your own. I'm taking Dale and Terry here. Uh, he just fits uh, in a number of different varieties and capacities for a lot of reasons. And A, this is a team that could use more perimeter defenders. Uh, this, you know, Mike Malone has done such a great job of establishing a great defensive culture there, despite the fact, you know, that they have Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and guys that have struggled on that end previously. Uh Dale and Terry is the kind of guy that I think would fit really well playing next to guys like Jamal Murray, like Bones Highland, because of his defensive energy, his intensity. This is a guy that's just an energy giver when he's out there. On top of it, I love his ball handling ability. He posted a three to one assist to turnover ratio this year. And you watch Dale and Terry play. It's not for a lack of risk taking. Like he's throwing like side spin 
like bounce passes through tight windows and he's trying to make things happen out there. He averaged four assists a game. I think there's a world where, you know, down the road, you might be able to play this dude who's six foot seven with a seven foot one wingspan on the ball a little bit, allowing Jamal Murray, allowing even Bones Highland, maybe in second units to play off the ball. Uh, yeah. I love Dalen Terry's upside. I think he's the kind of guy you win games with, and this is a team that is really trying to win games. So Dalen Terry, number 21, Denver Nuggets. Ryan, I know you already threw your shoulder out patting yourself on the back for drafting Mikhail Bridges. If you can get the second coming of and, Mikhail Bridges and, this late. And Devin Booker, Rob. But and, don't forget and, that and one. And Booker. Don't forget that one. Um, if you can get the second coming of, of Mikhail Bridges, why would he drop all the way to 21? It's a good question. I, I really like Dale and Terry. I think the reasons he would drop to 21, and maybe they're in the 20s, are just the, the lack of productivity at Arizona, right? He was the fifth leading scorer on the team. Um, but, but I like the player in the pick. In fact, he was a guy that I was, I'm coming back next year at 22, um, just because I think one of the things that's easy to forget is how does this guy fit into the NBA? Well, this guy fits into the NBA because he can make some plays. He has good length. Uh, I think he needs to improve his shooting mechanics. His wrist was a little bit loose when I watched the film, but uh, I, I like this kid. I, th- I think it's a good pick. The question they have is, can he do more than, you know, being the fifth leading scorer on the Arizona Wallacans? I think he slides in as a three and D defender uh, with some playmaking potential as well. I totally agree. I love the kid. I love the fit. I love the player. Ryan, we are coming back to you. Pick number 22, the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, and this is one, I mean, sometimes the draft works out kind of the way you hope it would. Uh, Sometimes it it goes against you. Those are the breaks. But um, this player I'm going to draft is, I think, somebody Memphis actually may draft because of their roster and financial situation going forward. Uh, And that's the point guard out of Tennessee, Kennedy Chandler. They have Tyus Jones, who's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Jones was excellent. Maybe the best backup point guard in the league. Obviously, John Morant's a superstar. Um, but, but Kennedy Chandler, you guys know his pedigree, especially you recruiting gurus, you know, top 10 high school player, played for Team USA. Um, you know, I, I like his ability with the ball in his hands. Uh, he just knows how to play. I, I like his feel. Uh, I really like his defense. I thought that for a freshman guard, I was trying to go back and think of freshman guards who uh, defend like that. He anticipated well. He got 2.2 steals per game. Game, uh, and he's skilled. Now, there are concerns you know, about his size. Uh, he's small. He's not very athletic. And the shooting. So that's going to be the determining factor. But you have a superstar in John Morant. You're looking for a backup point guard. Uh, this kid's a good basketball player. He knows how to defend. I think he fits right in in Memphis. Goodman, how worried are you about the size? We just said that one of the best things about him is his ability to defend. If he's he's probably five eleven on a good, I don't care what he's listed at. Like that dude is that he's he's not a very big man. So no, um, he, he's small, but he fits a need. I mean, that's what you're you're, you're drafting here. Uh, like Ryan's saying, you're drafting for need as much as anything else. This is a bad point guard draft. There's no other way to say it. And, you know, Kennedy Chandler probably goes higher than he should. Only because, again, there aren't a lot of good point guards out there. Mm-hmm. Sam, we've we've talked about his size before. How concerned are you? Extremely. Uh, it's just really, really hard to be a six foot guard in today's NBA, especially when you're 170 pounds like Kennedy Chandler is. Uh, it's for as hard as he works, and I feel bad. Like it's through no fault of his own. He's done a phenomenal job improving as a shooter. He works really hard. He does all of the right things. Uh, I take no like solace in saying that I'm not like a Kennedy Chandler guy. I love everything he brings to the table. It's just, it's hard to imagine a world where he doesn't get hunted on mismatches in today's NBA, given how you know mismatch heavy uh, these best players in the league get. Yeah. I, I, I think you can't measure the heart though. And Tennessee really turned into the best team in the sec for a stretch last season because of Kennedy Chandler Goodman pick number 23. 
the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, are we going to trust your process here? You know, I'm torn on this one. I mean, th- this is a tough one for me because the guy I probably liked the best here, I'm not sure he's the best fit, which is Kendall Brown. Um, I, I think Kendall Brown's going to be a really good NBA player, and he didn't get the opportunity to show what he could do at, at Baylor. I think he's a better offensive player than people realize and could be a really good defender, but I just don't know if they need him. Um, you know, do you take a backup big man like Walker Kessler here? I, I think maybe you just go Blake Wesley and just take the best player on the board, the guy with the highest upside, South Bend native who nobody saw this coming. Didn't shoot it great, but I think that'll get better. He's a worker from everything I've been told, but uh, good first step, smooth wing. So I think you just go with the best player available at this point if you're Philly, and I go Blake Wesley with the highest upside. Yeah, Jeremy, this is definitely an upside play. Uh, do you buy the shooting? Because he's not – with what I think his percentage is, what, 41 from two, 31 from three this past season. He's got to get better at that. Yeah, Um so I saw Notre Dame a few times because it's been a quick drive uh, from me in Chicago. And I think he can shoot, like from watching him shoot around, like there's not, it's not like there's like a lack of ability to shoot. I think what he really needs to develop is just more of like the confidence uh, and sort of like the catch and shoot skill set where it's, you know, he needs to be able to catch it, make a quick decision, whether he's going to, you know, shoot it or drive or whatever. Like, I, I don't question that he can get into the paint. Like, I think there's, it was a weird start. I think he had a good situation, but I think he's just so like, raw in some ways you know he he didn't play a ton of high level basketball he wasn't very touted when he got to Notre Dame uh, so everything we're seeing here is him kind of learning so like I think the upside is definitely there uh he's someone I, I definitely would be interested in in this range and I think uh you know Blake his body is probably gonna be able to put on a lot of muscle and I think there are a lot of plays uh you know where he got stuffed at the rim but you know at some point in his career he's gonna start dunking so uh the upside's there gotta figure out whether he's going to be on, on or off the ball, I think more likely he's an off-ball sort of slasher. Uh, but a good development plan, I think you can get a lot out of him. So I like the pick here. I don't know if Philly's the team, but someone should take him. Yeah, he's definitely has upside. And, and at the end of the day, uh, everybody needs great players and, and shooting for upside at this point of the draft. There's really no, um, no, no cost to doing so. Goodman, we are going back to you. Pick number 24. The Milwaukee Bucks. This is a team. They're very, very good. They have some good players. They took Boston to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals without Chris Middleton. Who are you taking? Walker Kessler. Uh, I think they need a big here. Uh, Brooke Lopez was hurt for the majority of this season. He's not getting any younger. Um, I don't love Kessler. I, I, I got to admit, but I think he's kind of the best true big on the board right now, and he fits a need uh, for for at this point, which I think kind of. Ryan can probably weigh in on this, but if you're, you're picking in the mid twenties, you know, how much does need supersede because you're, you're not talking about a big disparity in talent. So I think in, in this situation, I would probably go with Walker Kessler, who's a great defensive big man. Yeah. Go ahead and answer that, Ryan. Yeah. This is a pick I can see the Milwaukee bucks actually making. They have financial issues as a luxury tax team, their payrolls, very expensive. And if you look at the history of the late first round, especially the later you get into the mid twenties and closer to 30, most of the players fail in that range. That's just historically what it is. So if you find a guy who's a positional fit, who can give you some rotational minutes, even as a backup as your ninth, 10th man off the bench. And keep in mind, if you, if you hit in that range, uh, like Memphis did a few years ago with, with Desmond Bain, that is so valuable because you get a player who produces and you get that salary slot for four years, you know, which really, uh, if you have financial issues, lets you do a whole lot else. So I think this is a pick um, they would actually make. I mean, they, Kessler's shot blocking 
thing is uh, incredible. He's obviously a little bit stiff, but uh, I can see them, you know, saying let's lock in a potential backup center at a low cost for the next four years. Yeah, Matt, stiff too, so don't worry. <laughs> Uh, Matt, Walker Kessler, one of the best shot blockers that we've seen in college. Will that translate? Are, are you worried about that translating to the next level? No, I think the shot blocking uh, translates. My, my only concern here with this pick is taking a guy that doesn't fit the coach's system well. Uh, Bud likes playing stretch bigs, floor spacing with Giannis. And I, I'm personally not buying uh, Walker Kessler's ability to stretch the floor. His mechanics aren't broken. I just don't, I don't know if it's – I don't know if he's a shot maker – uh, when it's all said and done. So that, that would be my concern. But he's, he's a good player, and the shot blocking does translate. Sam, you got 10 seconds. Do you think the, uh, the shooting happens for him? I don't know if the shooting happens, but I do think it's a real defensive scheme fit. They do run a pretty heavy drop uh, under Bud, and that is going to be helpful for them, I think, off the bench. But the shooting is a real concern. I agree with Matt. All right, so uh, that is Walker Kessler, who I wanted at number 25 for San Antonio. I'm making that pick. Um, I think that they need – uh, front court depth here. And I think that there are still some good bigs on the board. The guy that I am the biggest fan of, and I don't know if this is going to end up being a reach, but I really like Christian Coloco. I think that you can make the argument, given his switchability, given his rim protection skills, the fact that he can make some free throws, maybe that jumper could end up coming around one day. Um, I think that he is the guy that is that could end up being the best kind of defensive only piece that you can find, switchable, someone that could play in a playoff series one day. So I'm going to take uh, Christian Coloco, number 25 for the San Antonio Spurs. Um, Andy, but we have a lot of Arizona guys on here. So somebody tell me why that's a horrible pick because I, I know it probably is. Goodman, go ahead. I see you nodding. Oh, ahead, I really. love – I'm a huge Coloco guy because, again, I think he's the best big man defender in this in this draft. I mean, you saw it last year. He can, he can switch. He can – honestly, he can guard perimeter guys. Uh, and he's just gotten better and better and better every year. And his confidence was the biggest reason why he made the jump this year. I don't think he really had it uh, over the first couple of years uh, of his career at Arizona. So I I love Coloco. He's not going to give you much offensively. Let's be honest. He's going to be a rim runner. uh, But the biggest thing he's going to be able to do is on the defensive end, you know, block and alter shots and switch out on, on, on smaller dudes. Jeremy, what do you take? What's your take on Coloco? Yeah, you know, I kind of went back and forth with him and, and Kessler, and I ended up with Kessler ahead. But uh, the the one advantage Coloco is going to have is he, and you kind of touched on it, he, he is a lot more mobile. He can move his feet. Uh, he has a physical presence, but he also can, I think, gives you a little bit more versatility in what you want to do than like your typical sort of shot blocking big. Um, and he's he's gotten a lot better in a short amount of time. Um, so offensively, I guess that's where my concern lies. Um, you know, his, his finishing is going to have to improve. He doesn't, he's probably not going to shoot. Um, but is he like a very legit, like potentially really good backup? Yeah. No question to me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of why I landed on him with that pick is, is I'll, I'll take, I'll roll the dice and hope that San Antonio can figure out a way to get him to shoot and just trust the fact that he's going to be, uh, someone that can't get isolated, um, and put on an Island. Uh, defensively. All right, Sam, we are going to you pick number 26. You are drafting for the third time tonight for the Houston Rockets. Yeah. So this one's purely a talent play for me down here. Uh, It's my last guy that I have in tier four of my draft uh, class here. It's Jaden Hardy from the G League Ignite. Uh, Do I love the idea of, you know, having him in the same backcourt uh, as a bunch of shot gunners like uh 
Jalen Green, Kevin Porter, even Ty Ty can get a little bit shot happy from time to time, but I don't. But at the end of the day, I'm taking talent here. And I think Jaden's ability to create shots at a really high level is uh, very underrated, I think. I think he has, in terms of like technical craft, the best handle in this class. Like, There's no antidote for just being able to run around dudes like Jaden Ivey can. But in terms of just the technical ability to you know change direction, change pace, I think his handle's exceptionally tight. I also loved his like last month of the season for the Ignite. He was horrible for the first few months, but he really kind of figured out that mix of being able to make plays as a passer. I think he's an underrated passer when his mindset is geared toward that. And then on top of it, he made 40% of his threes over the last month, month and a half of the season uh, on 10 attempts per game. I think he can generate those shots at a really high level. This is a Jordan Poole-like upside swing for me where if it works, uh, you know, I have a guy that can create shots and there is very little more valuable in today's NBA than guys that can knock down shots and create them out of isolation. Matt, when you look at a guy that was a top five recruit coming out of his class that might have slid down the draft boards a little bit, does that play into your mind at all? Like he he crushed it at every level of basketball until he got here and maybe it just wasn't a great fit where he was the year before he's drafted. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's something you got to take a look at. I, you know, and I think one advantage some of us have is we don't have the red tape that NBA teams do as far as high school events. And so I, I saw him in high school and I saw that that crazy raw talent and upside. And uh, I, I think he was a little bit of a victim of going to the professional setup probably too soon because he's got a lot of talent. He's just his feel for the game, his basketball IQ, just some of these little things that, you know, just lack of polish really exposed him. And I, and I think kind of painted him in, in a bad light. Uh, but I, I like this pick a lot. It is an upside play. I mean, and that's the risk of going to the G League instead of going right. to college, right? Playing against grown men. Grown men, absolutely. All right. Uh, that was pick number 26. Number 27, the Miami Heat. Matt, we're going right back to you. Who do you got for the Heat? Yeah, similar to, to Sam's approach with that last pick, I'm, I'm going with the best player available here. I'm going with Marjan Bochamp. Uh, this is a kid I, I've known him for a couple of years, and, and how far he's come has really shown me that he's got you know growth mindset. Uh, terrific motor, tough kid, defends, active, slasher. I still like him to see him continue to prove his outside shooting. Uh, but at this stage in the draft, I, I mean, I, I'm really excited about this pick. Goodman, he's story, one of these. His story is incredible. Like, you can probably, uh, you know, go a little bit deeper into that, Matt, a little bit about his story. But right oh, sure. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, so a couple of years ago, I was called by my friend, Frank Massiano, uh, who, who started Chameleon BX. He's a, you know, uh, crazy – I call him Crazy Frank. He's, he's – uh, Hell's trainer um, and start Camille BX where he's, he's, he's kind of doing like what G League Ignite's doing, getting guys to skip college and just train for a year. He started during the pandemic, so it kind of blew up in their face. And Marjan was down and out. And, uh, you know, but credit to Frank and Marjan, the things that, that Frank applied as, as far as getting his body together and applying discipline to his life, the kid dramatically improved and, and, and kind of turned his weaknesses into strengths. And um, it really, really has impressed me. Yeah, I went to so junior people college. Yeah, I went to junior college for a while, put up right. crazy numbers, and really went to the G League Ignite as as an afterthought, from what right. I'm told. And yeah, absolutely. Turned into an NBA prospect when that was kind of never the thought with him uh, initially going there. So cool story. Yeah, Matt, when did you first realize that he was a guy that kind of had this potential when he was in that program? You know, I I saw the potential in high school. He had uh, he had a reputation for you know bad body language, selective motor. He was he was really thin, and uh, I mean now you know if I would do a scout report on him right now, I mean n- n- all of those things have been scratched. I mean I think he's a tough kid that plays hard, uh, and, and he's improved his shooting too. I mean if he can continue to improve that area, I mean that's definitely his swing skill. 
Uh, but I, I mean, I at, at 27 again, I mean, I just think that's a high value pick. Yeah, and fits the, their toughness, right? Yeah. I mean, he fits, no, he fits Miami's Miami toughness. Yeah, if you if you survive Frank Marciano, you you can handle Riley's system too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stan, how much have you seen him? You got about 15 seconds here. Yeah, good amount. I, I think that what Matt brings up is important when considering all of these other prospects, where we talk about their weaknesses. All these guys are so young; they have so much time in the world to be able to change their weaknesses into strengths, especially when they're motor-based and, and you know questions about mindset and things like that. All right, so I am picking number twenty-eight for the Golden State Warriors, the team that we're all going to be watching here in about fifteen minutes. So I think we all kind of know what they are. Um, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Wiggins, and pretty soon Jordan Poole. So they have a pretty big uh, salary. So they're looking for people that can be cheap, reliable depth, immediate impact kind of role players that fit into this uh, system that they want to play. And there's a number of guys that are kind of in that wing that I have the wing uh, category that I have written down. But the guy that's the most interesting to me is Wendell Moore from Duke. I think that he is uh, another player that was a former McDonald's All-American. He's a guy that really shot it this year. And if you believe in the shot, someone, I think it was a 41% he ended uh, for the whole season. He was a playmaker. Um, he's got a long wingspan. He can kind of fit into that, uh, that versatile mold that makes sense in the NBA. There's a lot of options that you can go here. I like Wendell Moore uh, the most out of all of them. Jeremy, what do you think about that? Yeah, Wendell is one of the players I'm really excited about in this draft, actually. I think he's the rare, like, underrated Duke guy, if that's fair to say. Like, I just – for whatever reason, and I think partially because there was so much star power in their team. Um, I think people who, you know, paid attention noticed, but he didn't get quite enough credit nationally for like what he, I, I mean, I guess he won awards. So I mean, that's not true, but in maybe in the, the context of the draft, just sort of what he did to kind of elevate Duke. Like uh, if you think about the type of player that you need to sort of complement star talent, um, you know, having a guy like Wendell who, uh, you know, can bring the ball up, he can run a little bit of pick and roll, he can shoot and, you know, knock down an open shot. He's a good passer, really good transition player. Um, he's bigger than you think just physically. He's not super tall, but he's got, you know, a long frame and he has a physical presence defensively. Uh, he's going to be able to switch stuff. So I think it's sort of a lesser, you know, what I was talking about a little bit with Dyson Daniels, you know, being able to be a positional positionless kind of cog alongside stars like Wendell kind of does the same thing to a lesser degree. So I like that pick particularly for Golden State with, you know, stars in place already. Uh, Ryan, we got about 20 seconds here. Uh, when you're drafting and trying to find a way to, to make it all work under the salary cap or under the luxury tax, how much of a consideration of things like this? Well, I think for most teams it is, but for Joe Lacob and the Warriors, they just spend, baby. The, the <laughs> revenue they bring in is incredible, uh, especially this year going back to the finals. Uh, it'd be a very interesting test for the NBA if the Warriors continue to blow the luxury tax and the repeater tax out of the water. Uh, we are going right back to you, Ryan. Pick number 29, you're drafting. It's Memphis. It's their second pick in the first round, number 29. Yeah, so with our first pick, with the Grizzlies at 22, we went Kennedy Chandler, the point guard out of Tennessee, who we discussed. Uh, at 29, uh, I was hoping this guy was here because the Grizzlies are a good team. As you guys know, they have the second best record in the NBA this year, second in the West only to Phoenix. They advanced in the playoffs. I do not want another rookie on my roster after Kennedy Chandler. Uh, so I'm going to draft Nikola Jovic out of Mega Vizura, uh in Serbia. Um, Jovic was born in England. His father was a pro basketball player. Uh, this kid grew up playing water polo and basketball in Serbia. He was a top prospect in the Ava League, uh, which, as these guys know, is, is you know, a pretty good league in terms of developing uh, prospects. 
Um, really good size, six, nine and a half barefoot, seven foot wingspan. He played primarily point guard, which I like that from a developmental perspective. I don't think that's where he fits in to the NBA, at least initially, but uh, getting reps with the ball in your hands, I think for a young players is in, in, invaluable. And if I'm Zach Kleiman and the guys in Memphis's front office, uh, along with Taylor Jenkins, I am begging this kid to stay in Europe and develop. We'll bring you over in a year or two. Um, you know, he could be one of the best players in the European continent in a couple of years. And then with a good, talented Grizzlies team, you're adding to strength if you bring this kid over in a few years. Good minute. I just want to be clear. That's Nikola Jovich, not Nikola Jokic. Okay. There's two I'm different just, players. He did not pick the, the MVP. Okay. I'm just upset that uh, Ryan McDonough being the former North Carolina Tar Heel didn't take Brady Manic here. That's what I, thought was <laughs> I was going to draft Walker Kessler, then cut him for transferring to Auburn, but that's a different story. I've you know, <laughs> been a little spiteful on my, on my part. Uh, Sam, we got about 45 seconds here. Uh, put a bow on, on Nikola's game for us. Yeah, I think that Ryan hit the main points. I mean, he's a point forward at the end of the day. Really, really high-level passer. I also like the shot mechanics. I think he's going to knock down shots off the catch uh, at a pretty reasonable level. This is a guy that made a real impact at the U19 World Cup last year, uh, especially statistically. He was very, very good for Serbia. Uh, I have real worries about the defense. I have no idea who he guards in the NBA is my real concern here. But at 29, if you can get a guy that's you know six foot eleven in shoes and has all sorts of passing and shooting ability, I mean they're they're it's a totally reasonable pick. Like I think it's a rational, smart decision in many ways. Yeah, and Nemanja right, Bielitz that... is playing in the NBA Finals. He doesn't really guard anybody, so yeah, I think there's a totally. role for this kid down <laughs> down the road. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, Sam, you have the last pick of the first round. We're coming back to you. You need to make Denver a uh, a national or a, a, an NBA title team with this pick all the pressures on you take us home 30th overall picks bringing them to the title let's go <laughs> uh yeah look i have two guys left uh in my top 25 it looks like it's jake laravia and christian brown i'm gonna go laravia i have him one spot higher than christian brown uh laravia i think is an outstanding shooter at six foot eight i know that the volume wasn't there in college but i think it was more a matter of decision making and uh wanting to make the right play while he played next to alondis williams who was so aggressive on the ball and trying to hit home runs constantly and uh laravia is a very very high level passer very very high level processor of the game. I think that pairing him with Nikola Jokic, not Jovic, uh, is going to really, really play well uh, off of Jokic's cutting or Jokic's passing with Laravia's cutting ability and his floor spacing ability. Uh, you know, I already took a wing in Dalen Terry for the Denver Nuggets. And I think that uh, taking a guy who's more of like a 4 3 hybrid forward, uh, you know, that can you know, maybe spell Michael Porter, given that we don't necessarily feel awesome about Michael Porter's health long term. Uh, I really like the idea of them just building up depth in the front court with skilled guys that would fit well with Nikola Jokic. Matt, I think this is the perfect example of what fit means at the next level, right? Alondis Williams was the star for Wake Forest all year long, and Jake LaRavia is the guy that goes with the uh, 30th pick in the first round. No, sure. I mean, I think the, you know, comparing those two, I mean, Alondis Williams, I think that the question with him is how good will he be as a complimentary guy rather than a player at Wake Forest where the ball's in his hands and he's asked to pretty much do everything. Uh, LaRavia can, can, can blend, you know, in, in, in a good way. And so I think, Sam, your points with, you know, their, you know, Denver's offense obviously being built around uh, Jokic is, uh, I mean, it's perfect. He stretches it. He's tough, slasher. Uh, I personally, for a lot of the same reasons, probably would have gone Kendall Brown because I think he would fit really well with Denver as far as his slashing abilities, just an elite athlete, potential defensively. But again, very similar points that you made, Sam, of why you went with Arabia. 
Jeremy, you got about 15 seconds. Give me your take on Jake Lurie. Yeah, I like him. He uh, he grew on me. I didn't see him all year until the ACC tournament, uh, and I'm sitting there, you know, up close. And uh, his competitiveness competitiveness really pops. So that was a nice surprise, you know, in addition to the passing and the other stuff that he brings. I like the pick. Well, listen, guys, that was the full first round mock draft from the field of 68. Uh, I want from each of you, before we get out of here, I just want real quick, the best player that you have left on your board that was not drafted in the first round. Sam, we're going to go to you first. Yeah, like I said, Christian Brown, I'm a big fan. I think he's going to shoot it at a high level. I love the way he closes out on uh, offensive players on the defensive end, actually. I think he's constantly on balance. And given the way that you have to scramble uh, in the NBA on defense, I think he's going to be a very, very effective player uh, on that end. So I am, uh, I'm a Christian Brown fan. Jeremy? Yeah, uh, for me, it's, it's Patrick Baldwin Jr., who yeah, I'm still continuing to back here, I think, despite you know, all that he's gone through and the rough year that he had. I, I still think there's a good NBA player in there. Uh, he's going to need to go to the right situation when there's not pressure. Um, but he's, I don't think he's ever really played in a situation where there's a great guard next to him who can get him shots and, you know, you can kind of insulate him. So, like, I, I really think he's a good project. Uh, he's someone I would have considered in the 20s uh, had I had a pick after 15, which I did not. <laughs> Ryan. Christian Brown would be the player for me as well. Uh, if I get thrown one name, though, to keep an eye on late in the first round, talking to people around the league, uh, that's Josh Minot from Memphis. Uh, obviously, he didn't do a whole lot for the Tigers on the court, but talking to coaches and people around the program and some NBA guys, if you want to be patient, put this kid in the G League. It's a home run swing. You could strike out, uh, but a lot of NBA teams that I've talked to are intrigued by that kid's talent in this late first, early second round range. Wait, wait does that mean you found Larry Brown? Because nobody knows uh, where Larry Brown is. So, you haven't been out to the Hamptons lately, Jeff. Go, go to a, you know, fish fry or something out there. Get, you know, He's get, supposed to be in Memphis get, helping get, Betty. Get your Nantucket Reds on and go to a clam bake with a you know, glass of sangria. And you, you might bump into him out there. Good, good idea. Matt, who you got? Who you got? I already mentioned Kendall Brown, but I think there's several of the, the young guys that didn't get a chance to do a whole lot. You know, my knots of the world, Peyton Watson, Max Christie. I wouldn't be surprised if, if any of these guys in a few years we look back be like, all right, these guys tapped into their potential and probably should have been first-round picks. Goodman? Yeah, I like Kendall Brown. I, I really do. I, I think, again, he's got great feel for the game. Um, good defender. Not a great shooter. But if there's one skill that can be improved with work, and I think the kid will be a worker uh, in the NBA, it'll be shooting. So I, I think Kendall Brown's going to take some time, but he could be a really good NBA player someday. Yeah, my favorite is Christian Brown. You guys already said it. Shooter, athletic, defends, uh, fits a role, tough as hell, is going to be competitive, which means we are done. Let's go watch Golden State. (laughs) 